turn um, to the book of Revelation, if you would not mind, and we'll get there in a minute. And as you're doing that, I want to talk to you about one morning when I was turkey hunting. When I, was, when I turkey hunt, I get out there really, really early. My goal is to stand at a high spot and hear a turkey off in the distance gobbling. And once I hear that turkey, I start to work my way towards that turkey. So this one particular morning, I heard this thunderous gobble, and I started walking that way really slowly. Maybe about five or six minutes later as I'm walking, I hear another gobble, and it sounded like it was really, really close. And so I start scanning the treetops, and I start looking for the bird, and I, I walked a couple more steps, and then I, I think I see him about 50, 60 yards off in the distance. So I didn't want to get any closer, so I sit right down by the tree and just quietly wait there. And as it gets a little bit more light, I start to see this form up in the tree um, start to move, I believe. And, and it gets a little bit more light, and this form takes on the shape uh, of a turkey in, in the, on top of this branch, way up in the tree. And, 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 I, I, and I'm like, it's getting daylight. I don't want it to see me, so I put my head down. I do not want to make eye contact with this turkey. And then it gobbles, like 200 yards further down the ridge. I'm like, put my eyes up slowly. I'm looking at a huge squirrel nest up on the top of the tree. <laughs> Something with your eyes in the morning, you don't get to focus. So then it's too late. I can't walk down the ridge. Now the bird's gobbling over there. They would see me. So I sit there and wait till daylight. I hit my call, and as happens often, he goes off the other direction. But I tell you this story. I tell you this to remind us that it is really, really important that we know what we're gazing at. One of, one of the most important principles that guide the way that I preach and what I preach is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says this, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The ESV says it this way, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding, that's a big word this morning, say it with me, beholding. Beholding the glory of God are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. The principle is this. True gospel transformation of a person's character comes from steadily gazing at the glory of Jesus. We become like what we treasure. We become like what we treasure enough to be spending time looking at. The text basically says, seeing is believing. Seeing is becoming. You become like what you behold. So I'm reading a book right now called The Imperfect Disciple. And he, the author of it, says this. One of the subtle dangers of the way many, many Christians do discipleship, it's a word that Christians throw around, is that they are always somehow looking at Jesus, but yet never seeing him. Paul in Corinthians, in, in that passage in Corinthians 3.18, just telling us, don't merely look at Jesus, but to look with consideration, look with appreci appreciation, look with fixation on Jesus. Often we are told in the Bible to behold, to behold the, the Lamb of God, behold Jesus. And, and, and I, I love that 
And to behold means to hold, to, to grab hold of, to hold of him in our vision of what we see of, of, of Jesus, to let the weight of Jesus rest on our heart and rest on our mind. And it changes us. The implications for preaching is this as a pastor. That if I aim for this church, for every one of you that walk through this door and are online, to be transferred from, transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory over and over throughout your life, I need to hold up Jesus. My aim is to put Jesus in front of you over and over and over and over and over again. And if you're with us, you know we do that with the gospel over and over and over again. You heard it with some of the testimonies this morning. It's no exaggeration to say that we need to gaze on Jesus personally and corporately as a body. Here's another passage out of 1 John 3, 2. Read it with me. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. To, to the degree that we can see him now through his word, we are changed into his image, right? But when he comes, again, we are going to see him in his full glory. And then our transformation will be completed. As we're with the Father in heaven and with the Son. And it all happens because we are seeing. We're, we're focusing on the right thing. Gazing steadily on Jesus with every aspect of our life. So there, there's many needs at the end of 2023. And as we look forward to 2024, there are a lot of needs that we don't always know. But we do know that they're spiritual needs. We need to be the kind of people that, that radiate the beauty and the truth and the value of Jesus in everything that we do. We need to be like lights shining in the dark place, which we need, we, we, we need to behold Jesus. We need to gaze at him. We, we, we cannot lose focus of our Savior and who he is as we move forward as a church. We need to gaze on Jesus. Don't gaze on the numbers. Don't gaze on the huge amount of money. I heard some gasp when Steve said 2.8 million. Don't gaze on the upcoming political election in 2024. It'll be ugly. Don't even gaze on the people or the success of programs. Gaze on the beauty of Jesus as you look back and as you look forward. So this morning is a reminder to turn to Jesus Turn our eyes upon Jesus to gaze on him as he's revealed in the word of God. I want us to linger for a while in the moments that we have left as we think back on 2.23 and as we look forward to 2.24. So if you're following along with the notes, like in that printed handout, it's not going to make much sense. I've changed a lot because of time, and I've also been reading a few things. So, and being a holiday week, I think we printed those on Tuesday already, so good luck. <laughs> So back to Revelations chapter 1. This is where we're going to be this morning. Go home and read all that chapter. We're not going to do that this morning. But verse, one of, of, of Revel verse 9 of Revelations chapter 1. It says, 
John was exiled on the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Jesus was so real and so precious to John that he would rather be exiled on a barren, nasty island than not to talk about his Savior Jesus. John had gazed at Jesus long enough to become like him. And one way was obedience. We saw examples of that this morning. Obedience was more important to John than the comforts of life. But now in exile, John gets a vision from his, his, his father in heaven. And he gets another remarkable chance to gaze at Jesus. He gets a vision. And he doesn't just get the vision for himself. He gets the vision for the seven churches. He gets the vision so that we can have the vision of Jesus today in 2023. So in verse 10, it says this. It was the Lord's day. And I was worshiping in the Spirit. That means on one of his Sabbaths on the island, he was deeply in tune with what God was doing, and the Spirit of God was moving, that he was just worshiping with everything he had. And then suddenly it says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And the voice says in verse 11, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches. So, so write in a book everything you see. It's easy to write words that we hear. It's not easy to write words of something marvelous that we see. When I'm fishing on Lake Michigan and the sun goes down, and I'll call Stace and say, that was an amazing sunset. I can't describe what it was. Words don't do justice to it. But he had to write it down. God told him to write it down. And if God gives you a job to do, he will empower you to do that job. Always, 100%, all the time. Now, Jesus did not intend to come to each of the seven churches the way that he came to John. He doesn't intend to come to us that same way either. He could have appeared to every congregation with the same vision, but he doesn't. He appears to John, and he says, write everything that you see in the book, and then send it to the seven churches. John gets the vision. We get the book. We have the word of God where John wrote this down. This is not because Jesus is some distant God that, that's impersonal with his churches or his people. It's because he wants us to come through his word. He wants us to seek him in his word. He, he wants us to know him by his word. He wants us to gaze upon Jesus steadily through his word. So as we start a new year, gaze at Jesus this year. If you're not in the habit of reading the word of God, start small. Pick a verse, pick a chapter, but gaze on Jesus through his word. And when we do, when you start gazing on Jesus through his word, we will have a view of God that is tethered to the scriptures. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's important. Now, I, I specifically use the word tethered here because it means a line, like as in a rope or a, a chain where, by which an animal is fastened to the end of it so he can't go certain places. He's restricted his movement. For us, we must be tethered 
our view of God must be tethered to how he describes himself in this book. So that we're anchored to the real God. Not some made-up version of him that you have thought up in your head by the feelings or experience of a life, but by who God says his son is in the word of God. So let's look at what John saw. Verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. So John turns to the trumpet voice that he hears behind him as he's in the spirit, and he, he hear, and, and he saw seven gold lampstands. If you go to verse 20 of chapter 1, it, it describes who, what these seven lampstands are. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. They are the seven churches. Seven golden lampstands are the seven churches of Asia Minor. Present day Turkey. Can I have the next slide please with the map? These are the churches that are listed in verse 11. They are not only churches that were around in those days. Seven churches is a deliberate choice here. Like many other occurrences of seven in the book of Revelation, it's completeness, it's perfection. These churches typify all the churches then and all the churches now. So then verse 13, we see Jesus, we see the Son of Man standing in the middle of of these lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. So this vision of Jesus that John gets is him among the churches. Christ is standing among the churches. He's not merely over the churches, which he is. He's not distanced from the churches. He's in the middle of the churches. He's not far away in time or space. He moves among the lampstands. He trims our wicks. He fans into flames our heart for him. Our FBC is one of those lampstands. Jesus is among us. He's eager for to see each one of the people here to burn brightly for him so his church shines. The more we, we reflect Jesus, the more we gaze at Jesus, the more we will reflect Jesus. And we will shine to a dark world. So John saw someone like the Son of Man. In Daniel chapter 7, the term Son of Man was Jesus, well, the term Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself. So if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, we see another vision. This was 650 years before John's vision. Daniel has a vision. And this is what he saw. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One who was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be, what? Destroyed. So when John says that he saw someone like the Son of Man standing in the middle of the churches, he means he saw someone with honor and glory and, and kingly power, with authority over all nations, all people. Someone that's going to rule forever and ever and ever. That's the Jesus that John saw. And the one that stand over, the one that was pro prophesied about here, the one John saw, is the one that we have here, trimming our wicks, fanning our flames. We've got to get a vision of him. The next thing John saw 
Now he gets very personal, and I love this. The next thing he saw was the Son of Man wearing a robe, a, a long robe with a gold slash sash across his chest. The phrase translated long, wearing a long robe, is not another, we don't see that again in the New Testament, but we see it all the time in the Old Testament. And it refers to the robe of the high priest over and over and over again. And the gold sash across his chest is not low around the belt, it's high. And it's gold, and it signifies something very important here that the priesthood that he holds is extremely important. In, in Daniel chapter, chapter 7, it says he receives everlasting dominion and power and everything he needs. But he's painting a picture here. He's also our high priest. Revelation 1, 5. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Jesus is so great for us that he gave his blood one time. Just one time. And he put away all sins forever and ever and ever. So the one who stands among the last sins, make sure you get this. He, he stands with us here today. He wants to be gazed at. He has all authority. He has all dominion. And he's forgiven all sins. That deserves an amen. Gaze on that. Then in verse 14, he goes on. And he says, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. This is remarkable because if you go back to Daniel chapter 7 again. Our heavenly father is described like this. I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His, the ancient one is God. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair was like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. Hmm. I think John wants us to see something here about the age of Christ and the wisdom and dignity that come with the age, the everlasting age. In American culture today, we respect the process of aging less and less. A person is admired if they can keep looking young, New Year's resolutions. Not if he has the dignity of age. The Word of God sees it a totally opposite way. Proverbs, next slide please. Proverbs says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by living a godly life. In the law, it says, stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the ages. Fear your God, for I am the Lord. One of the reasons we don't want to grow old, and I'm struggling with this myself, as we associate age with powers that, that the fading powers that make life worth living. The capacity to hear and see and to think clearly uh, uh, about moving forward, about the pain that we have. But all those things are because of the fallen world, because of sin, right? Stinks getting old. But God has done away. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And when he comes back, all this aging will have no negative connotations. It will only be associated with growing wisdom and insight and maturity. All the strength will still be there. All the mental powers, all the sight and the hearing and the agility. Nothing that is great about youth will be left behind. 
There will only be added to all the powers and the beauties and the depth of age. And this is what John saw when he looked at Jesus. He was like the ancient of days with all the wisdom of eternity and all the maturity and the steadiness of age. But he was not weak. He was not weary. He was not tired. He was not faltering in his steps. So now put these two pictures together. John seeing the age, the beauty of that, and then look what he says next. And this, and his eyes were like flames of fire. We all know the drooping eye, right? Some of you have it right now. We all know what it means to have slumber eyes. His eyes are not that way. They're not clouded. Jesus' our eyes are of sharpest clarity. They, they miss nothing that's happening in the universe. And they, they are exploding with energy. His eyes are like flaming fire. So what we see then is his hair is as white as snow. And his eyes are like fire. Wisdom and maturity of the ancient of day together with energy and vitality and zeal for life. Like a new couple on their honeymoon, full of strength and hope. And yet with the depth and the ripening of many, many years of wisdom. So when you gaze at Jesus at the end of 2023, remember he's not tired. He's not apathetic. He's not burned out. He's not fatigued. Instead, his eyes are aflame with flashing fire and inexhaustible energy and hope. When Jesus thinks about his plans for you, and when Jesus thinks about his plans for FBC, he's not hesitant. He's not weary. He's not bored out of us. His eyes are aflame with fire. He has utter passion and readiness for the work that he wants us to accomplish as he continues to build his kingdom among the churches and among the world. There's, there's so much more that John saw. Go home and read it. There's always more we can learn and gaze about, about Jesus. But let me just read verses 15 and 16. Next slide. His feet were like polished browns refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like a mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And then there's John's reaction. And Jesus' reaction to John's reaction we see in, in, in verse 17 and 18. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of the grave. What an amazing picture of Christ. And as we gaze at Jesus individually and as Christ's body here at FBC, we have to remember that he is alive. And he's among us with all authority and power and glory. He's the greatest high priest that has ever put away sins. He's the only one. He died for each and every one of us. That's why we celebrate the gospel every single week. He is the aged and the wise and the mature, the great white-haired ancient of days. Yet with eyes that are aflame with fire of youth and energy. And exhilaration. He has unstoppable plans for us. 
gaze upon Jesus as we look back, as we look forward. Let his royal power and his priestly forgiveness fill you with hope and confidence. To say, you know what, 2023 was not in vain. It might have been hard, but I'm going to focus on Jesus. And then we're going to turn to 224, and God will continue to... 2024, my wife told me not to do that. And we're going to focus on the gospel and his might individually. Because you guys leave here. We can do it here as a church, but individually when you go home and in your work and on your fields, that's what we are to gaze at this year. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus.